One in four car batteries is weak and needs to be replaced. Let our professional parts people test your battery for free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Ah, look. The new Teen Titans photos have came out. Okay, so I guess that's Beast Boy, that's Raven, even though Raven's gem should be in her forehead. Uh, who the hell is that? Nah, nah, that can't be. Starfire? Starfire looked like she went through an accident. What, what the hell is this? Look, I'm a big fan of diversity. I'm always pulling for it, but they kind of dropped the ball on this. They could do better than that. That purple and that red hair does not match. Oh, God. Oh well, time to start it up. Welcome to the J-Man Show here on J360 Radio. Wow, well after seeing all that wild stuff... Welcome back to the J-Man Show, J360 Legion, here for episode 52, I am your host Jay, of course, and yes, uh, yes, you know, I've been aching, you know, I've been wanting a Teen Titans show for quite some time due to the success that the Arrowverse has been, and Gotham, depending on who you talk to, I didn't take a chance to see the Krypton show yet. I hope that's playing out to where it needs to be. I know that it's Superman's grandfather, and he's going to wear a cape, right? I mean, is that what the semblance of that whole thing is? He's supposed to be fighting Brainiac, which, of course, you know, that usually is what happens when it's a Kryptonian problem. But, you know, I have not partake of that series yet. So I need to go ahead and work on that sort of thing. I've got a lot of TV to catch up on. Been doing a lot of overtime at the day job lately. But hey, no biggie. At least it keeps me going, keeps the lights on, and well, you know, everything just checks out in the end. So the time I lose eventually will be the time I made up. So, you know, it pays off in the end. Uh, but this, this, however, like when I first saw the pictures of Robin and Raven and Beast Boy, that was fine. I think that this is great casting so far, but when I take a look over at Starfire, and you know Starfire is one of the best characters in Teen Titans, not to mention very beautiful. The woman they picked is beautiful too, but oh, come on. Warner Brothers, don't do this to yourself. You've already done it with your feature version of the DC characters. Don't do this. Matter of fact, did we get a Batman yet? You know, we're still floating around with this. I just want to know that whether or not we got a Batman for the next installments. You know, we're still floating around with this. I just want to know if we got a Batman for the next DCU installments because we need one. You know what I mean? I mean, if anything, if you want to put a stop to train derailment, this is the time to do so. I mean, what would, um... When's Aquaman coming out? Because I know Aquaman's going to help save the franchise along with Shazam. Even though I keep calling him Captain Marvel... No offense, okay? For those of you Brie Larson fans out there, I will always call the one you know as Shazam now, Captain Marvel. That's just who I'm going to do. That That's his name. That's who he is. Shazam is just the code word to make Billy Batson change from, you know, you know what I mean. The thing is, is that that movie's finally entering uh, film, too. Um, and, you know, speaking of the other Captain Marvel movie, that movie is finally entering principal photography 
Matter of fact, Coulson was on set along with Samuel L. Jackson. This is all going to play out in the end. I just can't wait to see that movie. And, um, yes, yes, they brought back Ronan. Ronan's finally coming back. That, see, this is great. So maybe then we could actually put a stop to that whole thing about, like, how Marvel doesn't have crucial villains. Because they're there. They just, you know, hey, we got to go ahead and delete them. We ain't bringing them back for the sequel. Though I think, like, the worst villain I know of for the D- for the MCU is actually Malachi. Malachi really didn't have any substance to him. I mean, at best, all you knew that him and the Dark Elves, all they used was the ether, And his right-hand man was Cursed. And even then, Curse had, like, more substance to him than Malachi did. And he really didn't say too much. You know what I'm saying? But Malachi was like, Asgardian, Asgardian. And you look at the comics, right? And then he's, like, one of the top villains of Thor's whole thing. But then again, you know what? Amora the Enchantist hasn't made an appearance in a Thor film yet. Though Lorelai made an appearance on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess they figure, hey, they can kill two birds with one stone with that, I guess. But, you know, as for me, I kind of want to see more stuff play out because, you know, I I, I actually like the Thor movies. I'm not going to lie to y'all. I actually think they're pretty good. You know, Escape is fun. Kind of like the Lord of the Rings films from time to time. Now, you can go ahead and say, like, the first one, The Fellowship, was pretty much 90% walking. And you're right. But it's escapist, man. You know, just to take me away to another world where I can enjoy and see what's all being played out. Because I already know what the conclusion is going to be. But you see, like, this helps me get away from the real world for a while. Which is why I'm always um, pretty big in, like, all these things that are happening in the media right now. Takes me away from the real world because the real world can be pretty damn ignorant. I mean, after all, some of y'all are sitting back cheering saying, You know what? Our allies did a group strike in Syria. Yeah. I got a lot to say about that, but I'll probably come together in later episodes. Today is going to be all about fun because there's been some good announcements as of late. But still, though, DCTV, get that fixed up. Those principal photography photos of the Titans could be a little bit better. I'm sure the show will probably be great, but it's just that, you know, when you look over at what the cosplayers do, the cosplayers do such a better job than the mainstream movies do with their costumes. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I guess on one, you know, they're at least being comic book accurate, whereas in the movies, oh, this is just based on, you know, that that costume would never work on film. Okay, then explain Psylocke's costume to me. Which, by the way, Olivia Munn, if you ever heard this program, you did a damn fine job. Granted, you really didn't do too much, but you did a damn fine job, and you look good in that suit, too. It's just that as I look at this kind of stuff, I want to see these things succeed. But you know, this same kind of thing happened to the Inhuman show. Along with bad writing and along with misdirections. And I don't know if anybody even went to that IMAX experience that they had. Remember that? With the Inhuman where they took like the first two episodes and they made them into an IMAX movie. I actually wonder who took the time to pay to go see that. Because... You know, I didn't make it, so because I knew it was coming on TV. So I was always thinking, like, who's actually going to go see that? I mean, nothing's going to get resolved. It's going to be the plot points of those two things. But, hey, it is what it is. But at least now you know that the Inhumans don't seem to be the worst movie-based program anymore. Or I shouldn't say movie-based. I mean, comics-based program. I mean, granted, with all the things that we have in DC and Marvel universes combined, I mean, not all of them are going to be winners, especially when they're put in the hands of people who really don't understand the characters and how they all play out. 
So as you're like sitting there looking at this, you're like, hmm, okay, I'm interested. Then you actually see some of the production photos, and you're like, hmm, this is all going wrong. Uh-uh, I don't, I don't like this at all. Um, wait, wait, wait. What, what's the plot line of this story? Oh, this doesn't make any sense. And another good example of that would be the Iron Fist show. I liked it, but I knew it could have been a little bit better. And the only reason why I really liked it at best was because of Colleen. And not only that, Defenders was coming. And which, by the way, I hope we get another season of that because that would be great. Like, you know, there's still a plot point there. I would like to know that the other three would find out that Matt is still alive. And Daredevil Season 3 can't come soon enough, man. I'm ready. You know what I'm saying? And then, of course, you know, you have the Punisher show to tie us over for that one. So, a lot to look into. Oh, which, by the way, I know you're all probably thinking, Oh, Jay, this is just another Marvel-based episode. No, no, it's not, really. But you see, as we do talk about it, though, we're almost there to Infinity War. So, for those of you naysayers about this stuff, go back into the closet where you belong, because this is our time to rejoice. You don't understand. Superhero fatigue aside, ten years in the making. Yes, it has been exactly 10 years since Iron Man 1 that all of us that have been enjoying the MCU and related properties are finally going to get that big payoff we were looking for. Thanos is coming. And I just can't wait. I wonder how many people I... Yeah, you know, I wonder how many people are actually going to bring replicas of the Infinity Gauntlet to the showing. Because I know a lot of y'all are. Some of y'all are just sitting right there right now just saying, Yeah, I have the gauntlet! And then you look at about a thousand other people on Instagram that have the same damn gauntlet with the gems in it. Oh, man. As for me, no, we're going to be a little subtle about this. You know, if I had the Power Play series going at this time, you'd probably see me play Marvel Superheroes, where you actually play through the Infinity Gauntlet story, and you get the battle against Thanos. But then again, why am I not doing that? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I remember day job, overtime, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's coming back to me now. But you know what, though? As I get where I need to be here, I will have that set up again. And for those of you out there that have been longtime J360 fans, yes, the Power Play series is coming. It's just not going to come until July. All right? Yeah, I had you all planned for that for a long time right now. I was just sitting there trying to get all the stuff down. I got more technology around here, so I'm able to produce it a lot easier. So that's kind of what's been the hang-up for a little bit. And then not to mention the new stuff I got for that PS4. That 2 terabyte is going to be filled so quick, I better go get another one. Set it off to the side. But that's just some rambling right there. And there was another good announcement not too long ago. From Sega this time. And it turns out that Shinmu 1 and 2 are getting re-released on all next-gen consoles. Well, not, not, not the Switch. Nah, it's not going to the Switch. That's okay, though. You guys got a lot of games coming. To the point where you probably don't even care about Shenmue. You'd be like, what's this got to do with anything? But for all of us to have Xboxes, Steam, and PS4s, it's coming, man. The legacy is coming. I can't wait. Because Shenmue 3, no matter what any naysayer out there is saying, got all its money, it's got everything together, that's coming too. So let's see. One, two, and three. Oh, I can't wait. Now, all we need is for Capcom to go ahead and re-release Onimusha like they're supposed to. Come on, it's not like they can't do it. They did it with Devil May Cry. They just did it with the Mega Man Classic series. And they also have Mega Man X Collection coming out again. But then again, I guess it's asking for too much because, you know, they just now paid attention to Mega Man's 30th anniversary. And they were like, hey, we're going to go ahead and make Mega Man 11, you know what I'm saying? So, 
Even during the shadows of Mighty Number no. 9, which they had nothing to do with, but I'm glad Capcom's like, you know what? We're going to go ahead and do this. We're going to make it 2.5D, and we're going to give them exactly what they want, and this time we're not too worried about it. You know what I'm saying? Because, see, uh, Mighty Number no. 9 was an interesting concept. It was a spiritual successor, if you will, and it was made by a man considering the founder, well, not the founder, but the father of Mega Man. You know what I mean? Like, Inafune. And he had a pretty good concept there, but the thing about it is, it's just, didn't focus on that one thing. Make us a complete game. It's kind of like, sometimes I have to remember that when I'm the leader of J360 Productions, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's just give them what they need. Give them the project we need. It's good to go ahead and max out a line of products that you want to bring out, but you should also be tactful and think about what's feasible at the moment. And the problem is, is that the feasibility wasn't used right, money wasn't managed right, the bad PR, that just destroys the business. Of course, you can take a look at a lot of other indie production companies out there, and you can see that they're suffering from that problem. But they got a pretty good cleanup crew, so the thing is, unless they really piss off the right people, that stuff will not fall out as it does. You know, because you look over at Konami, and then after what they did to Kojima, you know what I'm saying, will their brand ever be repaired and go back to the same way it was. Because that was the company that had Contra, Double Dribble, Castlevania. Yeah, what happened to Castlevania, as a matter of fact? Like, the two reboots that came out weren't that bad, were they? I mean, the only release that Castlevania has had was that Netflix series. That's pretty damn scary. They need to make a comeback, too. Like, all those classic game IPs, right? Like, we all complain about them being re-released. I mean, Sega's supposed to be doing another contemplation of all their re-releases, too, but... I think it's a good thing for me because I finally got the PS4 to where I want it to be. So, you know, I'm going to buy that. But you see, after a while, there's a point where you do get tired of the classics. Like, the classics should always be there, yes, as a foundation of where the series has come from. But you also should look at it where a series is going to. And, you know, a lot of these companies have dropped the ball with that. Uh, Sonic, yeah, Sonic 4. Sonic 4 was a big letdown. I mean, one, because it was episodic, two, because all the levels were unlocked in the beginning, and obviously they borrowed the technique from another set of Sonic games instead of just building off of what they should know about Sonic. Platforming and speed. Come on now. You can do this easily. But luckily, though, we had Sonic Mania come in and replace whatever sort of aura of Sonic 4 is there. And that's supposed to be getting a re-release too now. Think about it, Sonic Mania Plus, and you're supposed to be able to play as Sammy Squirrel and um, Mighty Armadillo. And those are two like obscure characters from the Sonic franchise, along with other things. I think there's extra levels too, but I don't know, man. I mean, after just getting the game for you know the online market, I don't know if I'm buying that again. I mean, it seems like sometimes after another, the special edition version of these games, and you might as well wait on them. And I'm a Street Fighter fan to know that, which, by the way, that's getting an anniversary re-release, too. And yes, yes, I'm picking it up. It's got the Alpha series. It's got the classic stuff. I think it even has the first Street Fighter. Remember the first Street Fighter? The one that nobody can really play? Yeah, that's being re-released in that collection, too. So, of course, I had to pick that up. But, you know, I'm just sitting there looking at this, and I'm like, are we in a bit of a hole about this? I mean, it's cool that we're all getting these abilities to access these games. Like, which, by the way, Capcom, get to work on that Darkstalkers re-release. You know, even though we did have a Darkstalkers release on the PS3, it was called 
Darkstalkers Resurrection, and allegedly, if it would have made a certain amount of money, Capcom would have been interested and said, oh yeah, we'll go ahead and get you a new Darkstalkers game with... Uh, God forgive me, man, you know? <laughs> I knew that was BS, as they said that, because of course you had to pay money for that sort of thing, just so they know you're still interested in that. Because allegedly it was going to be a Darkstalkers game with Street Fighter 4 graphics. Uh, <laughs> and uh, of course it never came to be. You know, they'll release contemplations of all of these games. But, you know, it really takes a significant factor for them to get interested and say, yeah, we'll go ahead and we'll go through with that. There's a lot of fans out there that love Darkstalkers. You know, if we keep doing this kind of stuff, it's going to be to the way that Sega is about Streets of Rage. I think somebody had an idea for Streets of Rage's remake at one time. And the executives there, who were new and fresh out of college, had no damn idea what Streets of Rage was. Not to mention that it was a big IP for the sake of Genesis. And they had no idea what it was. It's like, how do you even get a job there if you don't know what the product line is? Uh, But then again, you know, there are some of them that make it to the third installment. And then there's a chance that, you know, it never gets brought up anymore. There's no drawing board for it. And the only thing they probably know over there at Sega right now is Sonic, Sonic, Sonic. And I'm not trying to say that Sega's a bad company. Oh, but they've made mistakes. Big time mistakes. And I could always look into the mistakes of what they make, but that goes into a whole different series in general. However, what I would like to talk to y'all about is not number 45. We're not talking about him today. He's got enough problems with himself, especially since James Comey's book came out. So as you can see, that's going to be a storm to take care of itself in another episode. Today, however, let's talk sequels. So, you know, as we get to where we go, uh, franchise get established, and then, you know, we all love the movie or hate the movie, depending on what people go about back and forth and say. You know, eventually a sequel comes along. And see, the thing about a sequel is a lot of people groan at the idea. It's like as soon as the number two pops up next to the title, they're not entirely happy about it. They'll sit right there and be like, No, I hated the first one, man. I'm going to go into a nerd rage right now. I'm going to destroy up my block in my city. Or I'm going to go sit on my toilet for a while and frown. Yeah, I'm going to feel real bad because that's how I feel about this idea. Look, let me tell you this, right? If a movie company or a giant conglomerate knows they got a successful franchise on the hand, of course they're going to milk it for all it's worth. It's just like some of those game companies I just told you about at the beginning of this whole thing. It's like this, right? They'll make a sequel, and you got to hope that that sequel is good, if not better, than the movie that precedes it. Now, nine times out of ten, that falls flat because there's usually different people that work on the movie, or different people that write the movie, or there's like... A concept of whether, you know, they're just grasping at straws because they want, they want to release this movie so bad. You know what I'm saying? Or they'll look at this and be like, you know what? Yeah, let's do something different here. No, I got some ideas here. No, I don't want that to fit the general scheme of things. And since everything is based off of a media property now, I mean, you can go take a look at Hasbro and know that. They're still trying to grasp on and do something. That's why they're looking over at Paramount and say, you know, why don't we do some more Transformers films? Or, you know what, how about the next G.I. Joe? Things like that. And you look at it, you're like, well, I'm not okay with this idea of G.I. Joe getting a sequel. I didn't even like the idea of G.I. Joe getting a live-action movie. Hey, wait a minute. It's getting a sequel. Where are all the people at? Oh, they got killed off. Or they're on another mission. Oh, you know, don't even worry about it. 
what people see things like that and you see because of that sort of thing going on then comes the concept of flanderization like say like there's a character you like in the first movie and I mean like you really enjoyed this character like this character went through some hardship had to make a change finally made the change finally proved their worth and actually won out in the end and then the chances are is that the story arc for that character is technically over but when you have the sequel come into play, oh, and that character is a principal character, might has to play another role again. Now, rather than being a supporting type or a mentor type in a way, which you kind of should do if you have no other plans for that character, I mean, there should be a way for him to play. Now, you just don't have to kill him off. It seems like some people love to kill off the mentor character just because it's dramatic effect. And the thing about it is, it can be. But if you do it too often and stuff like that, it becomes very tiresome. So chances are... As you have this sequel character here, you go ahead and you look at it and you're like, alright, I have no plans for this character, but I have more plans for what goes on in the same location. I have more plans to go on for somebody that knows the other character. You know what I'm saying? Little things like that keep it fresh. And it's like what the Star Wars sequel trilogy is trying to bank on. If you think about it, a lot of the elder characters that we know of from the original trilogy... Yeah, they were just there to give us that familiarity. That's all it really was. You're seeing it now, like what what happened in Episode 7. You saw what happened in Episode 8. Familiarity. That was pretty much it. Even though, you know, like some of these movies are the final pieces to certain people's careers or lives. God rest their souls, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying they're bad movies in that regard. They're going in and they're doing their job. But what I'm saying is, it's like for the direction of a sequel, you know... To make the sequel stand on its own, or to make the sequel even to be what it needs to be, give us a complete story. I mean, you know, like, the pieces need to be built. I get that. You're going to a bigger climax. I get that. But for right now, try to keep something a little self-contained. Like I said before on many different forums. Oh, God. I really sound like a paragon of storytelling, don't I? I told it on many forums. But look, the truth is, is this. All you gotta do is just talk about beginning to end, let this story for this movie be complete, and you know, you can keep something out there, maybe in the B story or whatever, as a layabout or some sort of layer for everybody to see that happens later on. You know, hell, you could do it this way, you could have the first movie start off with that principal character, okay, story arc's done for him. You could have this one happen for a certain female character to take the center stage in the second one. And then at the end, both of them fulfilled their story arcs, but there's something else that needs to be solved. So for that third movie, it involves both of them coming together, and you could go ahead and win out in the end with that. You see what I'm saying? And a lot of people get mad at sequels mostly because they don't try something like that. Or they don't try to keep the essential parts of the character there. Or they say, like, the character pretty much doesn't remember what he learned in the other one. Which is why a lot of movie makers should actually watch the preceding installment before they work on the new one. But also, they should know, hey, we gotta keep this fresh. There's more lessons to be learned here. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like with Ride Along. Ride Along was cool to me. I liked it because, well, it had Ice Cube in it, and Ice Cube's gonna play as Ice Cube. He doesn't really act as a character or anything. He's just always Ice Cube. You've noticed that? It's like, you know, you look at him, I think about the only original character you can really think of him as is Craig. And even then, that's not really original, that's just Ice Cube. But going back into it, you know, Ice Cube playing as a veteran cop, uh, 
pretty much play by his own rules detective, doesn't need a partner. Then you got like Kevin Hart, who's a security guard, but wants to be in the police academy, wants to be a cop so bad. He's got the skill set, but the thing about it is he's too eager, and you know, at the same time, he doesn't really know it like how Ice Cube knows it. So that whole point of that movie was really good, because in the end, he realized he needed him, and you see Kevin Hart realized that it's not always by the book, but at the same time, they both needed each other. It paired off very well. And the movie ended up becoming a success in its own right. Especially when they both became brother-in-laws. Now the problem with that is, Ride Along 2 came. Ride Along 2 had some of the most whacked out, tiresome jokes, and Kevin Hart's character was more outlandish than need be. I mean, sure, he had those moments in the first one, don't get me wrong, but they were amplified in this one because they were banking on that. You know what I mean? It's like they didn't really have a solid story for this movie other than oh well the wedding's taking place in this and everything else you see what I'm saying that's the only thing they had going for it and that Kevin Hart's character is in the police academy he's a patrolman but at the same time you know he was put on suspension because of yada 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 I get it growing pains learning a new job doing all that kind of stuff but at the same time Ice Cube's character was on a dangerous investigation so as he's on a dangerous investigation and you see, like, Kevin Hart's character is suspended, so he can go and help him. But in a way, in real life, though, doesn't work like that. But this is a movie, so let's stay with the movie. The problem is, is that I really didn't like his character. I didn't like Dr. Ken Jeong's character. Even though he's pretty funny, you know? In his stand-ups, he's funny. Uh, but the circumstances where they always put him in sometimes doesn't really help out his character much. And then there's times I sit there and I'm like... Dude, what what the hell did you just say? Like, what was that? Was that a joke? Uh, you see, like, that's that's jokes for me. I'm sure some of y'all could go ahead and take a look at both of them back to back, and you'll see what I'm saying. But you see, like, Kevin Jeong was only for that second movie. And the thing about the second movie was he was essential to them because he was kind of like, you know, Joe Pesci for Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon 2. That's, that's what it was like. But you see, the thing about it is... It um wasn't as good as Lethal Weapon 2 is what I'm saying. At least Lethal Weapon 2, you know, the banter was funny. The action was on point. The action was on point in Ride Along 2, but the banter and the comedy, it just wasn't there. You see what I'm saying? And it's because they just didn't seem like they just really didn't know how to mix the two right. And there are people out there that know how to do this sort of sequence, but for a sequel like that, you know, you kind of want it to be a little bit more... This is a cop movie. So, of course, you're going to get that new mission. But, you know, you kind of want that bond between them to be a little closer. And you kind of want the um, wittiness to be there. But you also want the secondary character, who might not be as into the job as the first character, you know, to have some sense of how this all goes down. Another uh, antithesis to that would probably be the Rush Hour movies. You know what I'm saying? Because at least, like in the first Rush Hour film, Chris Tucker was the talker. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> but in the second one, you know, it seemed like he was capable of holding his own just like Jackie was. That was what was so good about it. Now, a lot of y'all probably chime and say, Oh, Jay, you're talking about a Brett Ratner film, even though in one episode you said Brett Ratner is a problem with the Me Too moment and he's a scumbag. Yeah, I said it. I didn't say the man didn't do good work. He is a scumbag. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Shoot, especially with all that stuff that he has done. But, you know, and it all came out. So, needless to say, yeah. 
But at the same time, he's done good work. The Rush Hour films are a good example of that. Well, I don't know. Like, the third one. The third Rush Hour film was pretty bad. Because, see, now you're seeing, like, the past of Jackie Chan's character caught up with him. You see what I'm saying? Because apparently they were both in an orphanage. And the main villain of that film was Kenji, who was actually a brothers-in-arms, I want to say. You know what I mean? And because of that sort of scenario... You know, he, he didn't have the heart in him to go ahead and try to, you know, attack him or anything else like that. And any sort of um, Rush Hour film, now that I think about it, it usually has something to do with Jackie Chan's character tying the plot down. But in that third one, though, with the um, Evil Brothers scenario they were trying to play out, it got kind of, eh, because it's like this. You are a policeman in China. You're supposed to do your job. I mean, even if you have somebody like that on the other side there, you know, y'all were family at one time, but you're not family. This man is out here working for the triads and committing crimes. But then again, I guess it could be kind of hard, though, if you think about it. Because, say, like, if you're working as a police officer and you see, like, somebody that was in your family you were real close to and you did not arrest them, things like that. I mean, that, that happens. But you saw it in the movie, right? Where he's done a lot of things where, you know, it's like, oh, he need to get his ass kicked. And you see, there's a moment where, like, you know, the right thing to do is probably to kick that person's ass. And it's just that Jackie Chan's character was not going to do it until, like, the third act of the Rush Hour 3 film. But I guess that was what they were trying to play as. And it also worked with the brotherhood between him and Chris Tucker. Almost said Chris Rock. You know... Am I the only one that gets those two mixed up, you know, from time to time? But then again, it's not hard to do because you got a lot of people named Chris out here in the world. Actually, a lot of y'all do with the MCU guys. But going back into it, what I'm saying is, is that you see, like, with each and every single movie, they got to put the characters through things, especially if it's the same characters. And then the problem is that the flanderization will come into play. Like, you know, you saw that in Rush Hour 1 where, you know, Chris was the talker. Jackie Chan was the action guy. But you saw in the second one where they both could do it back to back. And then the third one, you know, it was like Chris Tucker's character was more flanderized than usual. You know, that's one of the reasons why my mom didn't like that movie. She actually, she actually called me up and told me about that. She's like, I didn't like Rush Hour 3. He was just too arrogant. And I was like, well, that's kind of his character. But then when I watched them all back to back, and I was like, ah, I see. They flanderized his character. They made him a lot more wackier. And they made Jackie Chan more subdued. So in a way, it was kind of like with this third film. They were trying to recapture what was so great about the first one. Even though the second one has its fans. And this is another trend I noticed about certain Hollywood types. Why is it that they want to always try to take the third installment as a way to catch up to the first installment? Is it because, like, it worked with Freddy Krueger's movies? Because, I mean, you know, you take a look at the first one. The first one was scary as hell. Uh, you take a look at the second one. The second one was um, more of a possession story than anything. You know, and a lot of people really don't talk about Freddy's revenge. But that third one, though, Dream Warriors, they always talk about that because it broadens the scope. You know about Amanda Krueger. You know about her being a nun. And then you also know about Freddy's multiple fathers that is because of what they did to her you see what i'm saying it broadens the scope in that one so i don't know whether they're using that as an example or not because it seemed like from time to time they tried that like the original spider-man trilogy like spider-man one 
eclipses Spider-Man 2, but tries so hard to hold on to the first one. And it's like, I get it. You're trying to give Sandman some sort of grounding in this story, but it just doesn't work. One, because you pick Sandman, who's pretty much a goon. You know what I mean? A complex goon at that. But you take, like, a character like Mysterio. Or, well, they couldn't use Kingpin at the time. But you take, like, a character like Mysterio. Or you take, like, a character like Electro. Which Electro eventually did get his own movie. But I would have loved to see how that third movie would have been if they had Electro in there. Or even Electro and Mysterio, because that would have been a pretty good combination. But you see what I'm saying is, right? Sometimes it's the characters in the story. And then sometimes, you know, when you're going ahead and making the newest movie and stuff. You want to make sure the adventure's fun, too. And there's times, like, when I look at certain sequels and I'm like, the adventure of this movie is not great. Like, I look at Robocop 1. Robocop 1 was a story of death, rebirth, and redemption. I look at the second one. Robocop's taking on drugs. Yeah, okay. And then I see, like, exactly what Robocop's going through in the second one. Um... You know, like, the the plot of it was pretty much he's just trying to stop the drug nuke from being distributed. Then all of a sudden, you know, he tracks down Kane at the warehouse. He gets, um, he gets immobilized and then cut up. And then, like, at the end of all that kind of stuff, Kane eventually gets taken down in a sting. And then all of a sudden they make him into the new RoboCop. You know, the RoboCop 2, the title. Oh, yeah. Even though at the same time you see, like, um... It's not going to work out because you got a a drug-induced um, messiah complex-having individual as the center in the brain of this new RoboCop, so it's not going to work out. But you know, like, um, in order for that whole thing to work out, they kind of had to revert Murphy into being RoboCop again, rather than RoboCop, rather than being Murphy, RoboCop, than Murphy again. You see what I'm saying? They had to retcon a few things because it seemed like... That movie was supposed to be a standalone movie at one time. So that kind of happens too. And so you saw in the second one where, you know, he was more sympathetic to the little boy that tried to be a crook named Hob and stuff like that. He wasn't going to shoot him because he reminded him of his son. And not only that, I guess they were just showing that this is a new villain that Robocop couldn't take down. A child. Even though the child was um, racketeering, committing drug sales and everything else. You know what I mean? And then I look over at, like, RoboCop 3, and, you know, outside of the flying part, I guess more or less they were just fighting against a corrupt form of OCP known as the Rehab Group. And OCP was being bought out by a Japanese company, and, like, most of the satire that was there in the first one didn't make it to the third one as much. I mean, it was there, like, the commercial pieces, but... You take a look at the third one, you're like, well, the third one really was made for kids, wasn't it? Because there was no lethal shots, there was nothing there that was as gritty as the first one. You see what I'm saying? And you got that little thing going on, too, because you also got parents groups that are coming and saying, um, um, something happened in that first one, and I'm not okay with trying to explain it to my child because, you know, I'm only a parent part-time, you know what I mean? I, I'm not a parent full-time, Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know how to explain any of this stuff. So, uh, we want to know, for that rating that we give you, because we dictate, we're the buying public, um, yeah, we don't want that to happen in this new movie. Yeah, and the reason why I brought that up is because Parents Group screwed over the second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. 
If you ever look at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 and wonder why they're not using their weaponry, go take a look at the parents' groups. Because they're sitting there the whole time talking about how the first one was so dark. And the first one had foul language. And they were using their weaponry. Which is what they do on the actual shows and the comics and everything else. But they don't think about like how this stuff works out. Ugh. At least you can say this about the third one, right? And you see, like, the third one, Shredder is not around anymore. So they had to go ahead and fight a new villain. And the best way to fight a new villain is to go to their element, which is in Japan. Even though they're dressed as samurai. Or shogun. Whichever you want to say. They go back in time, and they're in Japan. Feudal Japan. And they're fighting... Not another ninja faction or anything. No, like Not like the first hand, or maybe even the first Shredder, or whatever thing like that, right? Or meeting up with um, Oroko, or, or or meeting up with you know, you know, or re. It's not like they're going back in time and meeting up with Hamato Yoshi or anything, right? You know, like that whole storyline di- just didn't play out. And I'm going from the origin story where it's not Splinter that's Hamato, it's Hamato owning the character of Splinter. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they actually went back in time with that sort of scenario. No. But you see, like, in the third movie, at least what was the saving grace is they used their weaponry. But it has more messes to it than need be. I mean, especially looking at it from a point of view where you make films. And you're like, you're seeing exactly what they wanted to do. But the pieces of this movie really didn't come together because the story was pretty bad. The characters' personalities were good. And then you look at the design of the characters and you're like, huh. Yeah. I like the ones from the first one better. If they would have kept that suit and that sort of concept together. But they stopped using the Jim Henson's company around by the third one, right? So, yeah. You know, it is what it is. Uh, But as I look into these sequels and stuff, it's like the sequels aren't the problem. It's the process that goes into them. Because from time to time, you know... It could be either the studio rushing the people to get it done. It could be the characters, what, what, where their story is going. It could be like whoever you have acting. Or it could be the pre-production where somebody requests more money. And at the same time, it, it all never plays out. And then there's the part where the essential scenes get cut out. Where this movie is supposed to make sense and tie the two together. Or tie in any sort of other movies. And then there's the concept where it's paper thin, like, you know, Justice League, where, hey, remember, this is part of a shared universe. You know, it's, it's, it could be a little things like that. It's not the movies themselves, it's the people behind it that are responsible. And you can go all the way down to the screenwriters about it if you want to. But the thing about it is, is this, you don't just hate the sequel, hate the sequel. You gotta find a way to redeem it. And then if you take a look at, like, some sequels that don't intake at the box office, like Hellboy 2, Hellboy 2 was pretty damn good. It's just a lot of people didn't go see it. And since a lot of people didn't go see it, they didn't think of it as a sleeper hit, and also a lot of time has taken place, that's why we have a reboot coming now. So any sort of storyline being established in these movies that we see and tend to hate on the sequels about, some will never get resolved. Ever. Though comics are trying to do that kind of stuff. Because they're trying to go ahead and write stuff based on. You know certain scenarios. In the movies but. 
it's it's kind of tough to say because you're sitting there the whole time. You're like, wow, that storyline will never ever be resolved unless it's in another medium entirely because either the actors are too old or the company has moved on or a lot of people will be like, yeah, you know what? Uh uh-uh, uh, not doing the role ever again. So it, it, it's interesting when you think about it, but. You don't have to necessarily hate the sequel. And I do have some sequels I need to redeem, so before I drop the hint of episode 53, which I kind of just did. (laughs) And that's all I have for you on the J-Man show today. And speaking of which, this is the new week. You know, episode 53 is going to be coming along a lot later. And I also have a Cyclone episode to bring to you all soon. So, you know, I got a lot to look forward to. And this actually caps the end of that double special that I promised you all. You are supposed to get 51 and 52 this weekend. And you did. <laughs> Alright? Well, I want to thank you all for coming in and listening to me for a little bit. Now, you know, if you have anything to chime in on or anything to say, you can go ahead and drop a comment below. Or you can email us, j360productions at outlook.com. Feel free to chat it up with us. I mean, hey, we're here for you. You are the J360 Legion. So come on ahead and throw anything our way. From the J-Men show, the Cyclone. Oh, and I mean to, I've been meaning to tell you all. On J360 Radio Live, when that gets started up, you can chat with us. Especially when we're online. And we'll be sure to read anything you guys say. Hey, you got a lot to look forward to. But hey, that's all the time I have. This is Jay signing off. And you all take care.